Psalm chapter 16. We're going to read the last verse, verse 11. Psalm 16, 11. Thou wilt shew me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I want to preach a message out of that verse with the title, The Path of Life. Let's pray. Father, we've come into your presence this morning. We've reveled in your glory. As your spirit moved among us and healed our bodies and changed our lives. And that's before we even got to this point. So we expect even more, Lord. We expect for you to move in this place, and by faith we receive that. We expect you to do a mighty work in our hearts, changing us and making us more like your son Jesus. Father, show us the way, and then with the power of your Spirit, help us to go that way, I pray. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. We thank you for all you do for us, Lord. And the, for the promises to come, we give you glory and we give you honor and praise. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. Praise God. This message this morning, I'm going to try to piece it together for you if you didn't right off the bat understand this subject. The subject is the path of life. You will show me the path of life. And then it pretty much defines what that path of life is. In thy presence is full, fullness of joy. Okay? So the true path of life leads you into the presence of God. That's what this is saying. And then it says from there comes all of the blessings, pleasures, forevermore. So the true path of life is to be able to reach out and experience the presence of God. We are actually encouraged throughout Scripture as we cover this subject again and again. We're encouraged throughout Scripture to stay in the Word, to pray without ceasing, because when you're in the Word, if your heart is right, if you really want what you're hearing, it will lead you right into the presence of God. When you're in prayer, if you're yielding to God, submitting yourself to Him truly, wanting what He wants over anything you could ever want, then it will lead you right into the presence of God. When you worship, if you worship with all your heart and all your soul out of your love for God, it will lead you into the presence of God. It sounds simple, doesn't it? It does sound simple, the concept of getting into the presence of God. But there are a whole lot of barriers there are a whole lot of things that try to stop you from getting into the presence of God, and at the top of that list is Satan himself. He doesn't want your church 
to let loose, to let God take control. He doesn't want you to give control to God. Because anybody who's controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit is an enemy to the kingdom of darkness. He would rather you just go to church all the time, read your Bible occasionally, say a little prayer here, say a little prayer there. He would love for you to do that because he knows none of that's ever going to make you a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. He knows that. He knows you toying with the, the Word of God or you toying with prayer and you're toying with the world at the same time. He knows all of that stuff will stop you from reaching the goal you should be reaching for, and that is the everlasting presence of Almighty God. That's the path of life. If you want life, you need to get into the presence of God. It is there your bodies are healed. It is there your, your spirit is changed and filled and empowered. It is there in the presence of God that all the gifts and all the promises God has for you, it's there in his presence, and it's available only there. You wonder why we pick certain songs, and you wonder why we preach certain words, and you wonder why we pray certain prayers. We'll pray the prayer that will reach God. We'll sing the song that will bring God to bear down upon us with his spirit moving amongst us, working his works, his great miraculous works in our presence. Because what you don't need, and the last thing you need, is another Christian religion. And that's the difference between true Christianity and apostate Christianity. True Christianity and that which is feigned by the followers of religion in the Christian church. So it is my job and my responsibility to make sure you know the path of life. And there is no way that anybody reaches God and enters into his presence unless you go by way of Calvary. So first thing, you've got to be believing that the only way I can reach the Father is through the Son. And the only way I can reach the th Son is through the cross he died on. That's the only way. Any church that gives you any other idea, I would treat that like a fire. And get away from it before you get burned. I would treat that like a disease. Get away for, from it before you get sick. Any church that preaches anything other than Jesus Christ and his, Him crucified as the way into the presence of God, which should be your ultimate goal, not just to want to be there sometimes, but to abide in that presence all the time. God speaks when you're in His presence. He doesn't have a telephone for you to call him once in a while. The line's always open. The line's always open. And if that line is open to you and you don't take advantage of it, that is your problem. Don't blame God for your troubles that you have no answers for. 
Because Jesus is the answer. He doesn't just have the answer. He is the answer. He doesn't just give the answer. He gives himself. He solves the toughest problems. He meets the greatest needs. He's there for you all the time, even if you're not there for him. I read this thing by A.W. Tozer. He said this. He says, men are lost, but not abandoned. That is what the Holy Scriptures teach. And that is what the church is commissioned to declare. That men are lost, but not abandoned. He says, Christians alone are in a position to rescue the perishing. We dare not settle down to try to live as if everything were normal. To me, it has always been difficult to understand those evangelistical Christians who insist upon living in the crisis as if no crisis existed. They say they serve God, but they divide their days so as to leave plenty of time to play and loaf and enjoy the pleasures of the world as well. They are at ease while the world burns, and they can furnish many convincing reasons for their conduct, even quoting Scripture if you press them enough. I wonder whether such Christians actually believe in the fall of man. He goes on to state, that there are several things that keep us from the presence of God. But a lot of those things that he speaks of have been instilled in us from a very young age if you went to church till now. Basically telling you that this is what it is to be a Christian when that's not it at all. I mean, even the scribes and Pharisees thought being rich meant that you had God's favor and you were acceptable to him. That's what they thought. But Jesus came along and, and, and told them the story, not a parable. It was not a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. He used names. It was an historical event he was talking about. Where this rich man had all of his wealth. And poor Lazarus, eaten up with sores, poor, begging for food, his next meal, hoping for somebody with a little bit of compassion to come along and help him. He didn't even get that. All he got were dogs to come and lick his sores. That's all he got. And he dies. But at the same time, the rich man dies. Lazarus finds himself in the bosom, and that means alongside Abraham down in paradise. And the rich man in the fire suffering horribly, saying, please, send Lazarus over here. Let him just take a drop of water and place it on my tongue, please. He says, no. He can't come over there. There's a gulf between you and, and me. He can't come. There's no help after the grave. 
There's no more choices to be made. They're all made for you after the grave. So he says, at least do one thing for me. Please send Lazarus to my brothers and warn them about this place. And, and Abraham says, if they don't believe the word of God, the prophets, they don't believe those who came before, they're not going to believe even you if you're raised from the dead. All your choices for eternity are made on this side of the grave. And you don't know when that grave will come. You don't know. Let me tell you something. Just as that song we sang says, this world isn't home. This world isn't home. So don't try to build up your life in this world. What you do is you put all your treasures in the things of God. Real treasure. Yet we try to live for this world. It would be better to be poor here and rich there than rich here and poor there. Because rich and poor there is heaven or hell. We've got choices to make on this side of the grave listen Tozer goes on to mention some of those things that are barriers obstacles in our way into the presence of God number one if you if you read the the subject it says here uh, the path of life what's it mean by the path of, of life which way you could you go where you should travel, what direction. So what that talks about is God has a purpose for every single person ever born. Whether that purpose is fulfilled or not is up to the individual. God will make it so that you can find the path. God will make it that, so that you can complete the journey. He'll do it. He'll do it. For you, he will help you along the way. All he's asking for us is faith and obedience. That's it. Faith and obedience to that heavenly call for your personal life and for the life of the church, the body of Christ. That's all he's looking for. So you got to say, what is my purpose? Well, ultimately, I'll tell you what the purpose is in a general sense, one that applies universally but for you as an individual you got to find that you don't find that outside of getting into the presence of God and listening to the voice of the Lord it's there you find all your answers not here when the early church needed some answers they went to prayer when the Old Testament saints went to, to, to prayer that's where they got their answers And they wouldn't accept anything less but the actual answer. But there are some things that seem innocent, that seem illogical, that keep us from experiencing the presence of God. He mentions one as work. Work. Well, you're supposed to work. Well, yeah, you're supposed to. 
But if you're trying to find fulfillment in your job, in your work, in your chores, and in those things, you're not going to find it because one day you're not going to be able to do them and then you have no more joy. Do you know why people commit suicide? They come to a place in their life where they see that there's no purpose for living. When you as a believer have a purpose given to you by God, a general one that's universal for the entire church, and one specific for your place and purpose in it. And we think work will fulfill that longing in our heart. I'll tell you what the longing is in your heart. It's to be in the presence of God. The, the, the longing that you have, you were created in the presence of God. It's that spirit of God that's in everything that exists that reaches out to you and draws you into the presence of your maker. And in this case, your Savior. Draws you into his presence. But we could be doing something else. We can actually think of the work that we do. Whether it's for the kingdom of God, we suppose. Or for ourselves. We think that that work will bring fulfillment. It will not. You being in the presence of God is the only fulfilling manner in which you should live. It's the path of righteousness through the cross and into the presence of the Lord. Through that blood and into the presence of the Lord. We should get there and we should stay there. And we shouldn't let anything, even our own desires, stand in the way. To get there, we can't do it by works anyway. Not by works lest any man boast. By, by grace through faith. That's not the only obstacle. He says education. Education can be an obstacle. He doesn't want you to be ignorant. If you need to learn to read, write, you need to learn how to balance your checkbook, you need an education. But too many times we find ourselves pursuing education at the expense of our relationship with God. We're seeking after knowledge instead of seeking after Jesus. There are times spent trying to educate ourselves ends up being an obstacle to our relationship with the Lord. That's not all. He says, pleasures. Number three, pleasures. What's that mean? We're out pleasing ourselves. We do what we feel like doing. We'll get up in the morning, and the plan has nothing to do with God most of the time. It has to do what you want to do, what you want to do, not what he wants you to do. Don't you understand that that will keep you out of the presence of God? Because you're turning your back on him. He's saying, this is the path of life. This is the way I want you to go. And you turn your back on him. Because I'm going to go this way. And, and, and he's right. We can find a hundred scriptures 
to let us do what we want to do. But there's only one that applies, the one the Lord is applying to your life at this moment today. In other words, what he says, not what we want to believe. So God's got a plan for us. But we're per pursuing pleasures, mostly just something that will make us happy. And what you're doing is selling yourself short. You could have all that he has, and you settle for what the world can give you. You can have something that's eternal, and you settle for something that's temporal. Why? I think part of it is because many in the church have never experienced the presence of God. They sing their songs, but it does not elicit the presence of the Holy Spirit. They do their works, and they're happy with themselves that they do it. When our goal should be to seek his happiness by pleasing him by doing what he wants, not what I want. The greatest pleasure that even the Christians experience is the pleasure of of doing what I want. Self-will. And the fourth thing he, he, he mentions is thrills. Thrills. Do something to thrill yourself. It's exuberant. But it fades away and dies. Because the greatest thrill in the whole world, which means if you understand what I'm telling you, you'd be pursuing this one instead. What is it? Being in the presence of God, that's thrilling. That's fulfilling. That's thrilling and fulfilling. Praise God. That's what you need. Whether you accept it or not, that's what your heart always was after, but you settled for something much less. I'm telling you that when you truly come to the Lord, you come to the place where you're fully surrendered, you'll be what God created you to be. Revelations 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are. And were created. You were created to please God. And this is not some one-way relationship. Because you'll never be pleased until you start pleasing Him. What do I mean? You start living for His purposes. You start doing His will and putting your desires aside. You'll understand what I'm talking about. And I'll tell you this, it's like a snowball effect. When you start really experiencing the presence of God, everything else is an imposition in life. If you have to take your mind off of Him for just a second, it's as if you're being beaten or you've lost something, something proven. To bring you life, real life.
life in Jesus. The way's been made. The path has already been chosen. God chose for you to come back to him through the blood of his son. But he didn't tell you just to come back and that's all. He says, stay on that path of life until the day I come get you. And then you'll never be able to even vary away from that path of life. Because you'll be surrounded with the glory of God. And even if it's time to go do something or eat or whatever, you'll stay extra time in his presence. Looking at that face. Watching his every movement and wishing and desiring to be exactly like him. Like we should always be. Get a little taste of heaven. You want the whole thing. Come get a taste of heaven in these altars by faith and prayer. Praise God.